Lord, we do thank you, God, that you are working even in the midst of difficult times. God, that nothing can stop you. Lord, that you are sovereign. And Lord, I pray that you would take our hearts and Jesus, you would make them like yours. All of us come from different directions. We bring baggage. Lord, with us from a lot of different places in our lives where we struggle, a lot of hurt, maybe disappointment, times that we've lacked faith, times of our lives, Lord, when we didn't even know you. And Lord, I pray that we would be free of those things, that as it says, Lord, in your word, that we would lay aside the weight and the sin that's clinging to us and that we would be able to run with endurance. And Lord, we look to you, Jesus, as that scripture says, because you're the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only are you the one who wrote it, but you're going to complete it. And so, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves emulating you, being filled with your spirit and having your attitude and your thoughts. And Lord, I don't want to have thoughts that are in my flesh. I want to have my mind and my, my words and my body moving in the direction that you are taking me. And so, Lord, God, I ask that you would transform us into the image of your son. As a body and as individuals, Lord, if we come this morning with prejudice, with problems, with issues that we're, there's just baggage, I, I ask, Lord, that now, as I pray, we would lay that at your feet. And Lord, that you would give us refreshment. As we call upon you to teach us that your spirit would refresh your church. Renew our minds. And Lord, speak to us from this passage this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have no idea how blessed I have felt just um, the last couple weeks listening to you guys pray. Listening to you guys lift up prayer requests and to come to the Lord. And I just want to encourage you guys to do that more and more. Um, to continue to feel that that um, freedom to pray as a church and as a body together. Um, Let's get into our text for this morning and, and see what the Lord has for us. Daniel chapter 1. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. You can use a device if you like. It still counts. Daniel chapter 1. So as we pick up our study here, we're picking up in verse 8. We got through verse 7 last week, and we pick up with Daniel and his three friends. We got Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're good Hebrew names. We know that the, the Babylonians gave them new names to kind of change that identity. We talked about that last week. But here we have these Jewish boys who had been taken into exile in 605 BC, removed from their homeland after the siege that Nebuchadnezzar brought upon the city of Jerusalem. And now here they are in exile in a foreign land, and they're being pressed into conforming to the ways of the world around them. They're being pressed, and we talked about this last week in three different ways. There are three methods that we see in, in that first section of Daniel that were intended to submerge them into Babylonian culture. And, and they were to eat and drink like the king himself. They were given a portion of his table, of his wine. They were to eat and drink like the king. That's what we'll focus most of our time on this morning. And then last week we talked about the time that was given, how they would get, be given three years to really be integrated into the Babylonian thought process and, and reading their literature, learning their language, really immersing themselves in that culture. And then the third thing that we noted is that they were given those new names, and those new names that they were given in the Babylonian uh, culture was 
intended to remove the name of God, which all of their names connected to Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, Hananiah, their names all have recognition of the God of Israel, of Yahweh. And they wanted to remove that and give them new names that identified them with their gods, with the gods of Babylon. And so we talked about how you can, you can take someone's name and you can change it, but you, if God owns the heart, the heart doesn't change. When the heart is given to God, the heart remains with God, and therefore you can call me whatever you want. And I said it last week, you can call me Al if you want to. But um, no, you could be my bodyguard. No? All right. So you, we got to get some music culture going in here. <laughs> Marvin's like, no, we don't. No one needs to hear that song. That's a fat bass line, though, dude. Okay, anyway. So it sounds better than that. That was that was me playing my stomach, if you didn't notice. So if if you guys kind of understanding what they were trying to do to these young men here in Babylon. We talked about the latter two methods at length last week, but here in chapter eight or chapter one in verse eight, we're going to focus now on the food side of things, on the portions of food that was being given to them and how Daniel handles that. And in light of that, I want us to think about this passage because it came to mind and it's so pertinent. Romans chapter 12 verses one through two says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed, be transformed. And here's what um, I, I could really summarize that statement in this way. Conformers are people whose lives are controlled by pressure from without. A conformer is someone who's controlled by pressure that's pressing in around them. Transformers, not, not those, but transformers, people who are being transformed, are people whose lives that are controlled by the power from within. We are transformed when the Spirit of God controls us from within. When that is coming from the inside out, we are conforming when the outside pressures change who we are. And that's a really important distinction for us to make. So a decision has to be made, not just an ultimate decision of salvation by receiving Christ's forgiveness for sin. That has to happen, but our decision to be transformers begins there. It starts there. When I get saved, my journey in being transformed has just begun. That's why Paul speaking to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12 is saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a process and we continually are going to be assaulted by things in the world that are seeking to make us conform. But he says, don't allow it to happen. Don't allow outside pressure to change you. Let the Holy Spirit within you transform your way of thinking and thereby transform your lifestyle. We have to make daily decisions. I think we understand this to live a transformed life and one that's not governed by pressure from without, but that's governed by the power of the spirit within. And so here before us this morning, we have an amazing example in Daniel of two really important things. Considering our current climate, the way Daniel and the boys accomplish being transformed rather than being conformed. One, they're going to do it through devotion to God. And two, they're going to do it by being gracious to those in authority. Now, I know immediately your inner North Idaho just went, mm! but just bear with me, okay? I want to ask us as Christians to address Scripture for what it says. And I want us to be honest with the text. And I want us to be honest with what it's calling us to, be, to do with our lives. We will see Daniel and the boys accomplish not conformity, 
but transformation through devotion to God and being gracious to those in authority. Are you ready? Are you ready, North Idaho? All right, here we go. <laughs> we don't get any sports right now, so I got to uh, nah, 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 kind of get everyone into it. Okay, verse 8, picking up where we left off last week. It reads this way. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So Daniel said to the guard whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them about this and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of king. We'll go back and we'll break this down, but it's interesting because in Daniel chapter 1, we start with their exile, which we talked about this before, Daniel most likely between the age of 15 and 17. Here at the end of chapter 1, we almost like get the bookends of the story because Daniel's time will end during the reign of Cyrus and Daniel would have been in his 90s when Cyrus became the leader. So we really see that there's this, and we'll talk about this more at the end, there's these bookends provided here of Daniel's lifespan and it's, it's pretty long. He spans many, not only kings, but he's going to span different nations that come in and take over and become world-dominant powers at this time. It's why his prophecies are going to be so powerfully noted, because he's going to call the shots that are coming. Not he himself. God's revealing it to him. But we see that happen during Daniel's ministry. And so, going back to verse 8, we'll get into that, that last verse a little bit right as we close. Daniel determined... In verse 8, it says that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. Now, James Montgomery Boyce said that this is the most important verse in the entire first chapter. That this sets the tone, not only for Daniel's mindset through this situation, but it's going to set the tone for Daniel's lifestyle. That he determined not to give in. He determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Now, most of us would say, if we looked at the entirety of the book of Daniel, that this decision to remove himself from eating food that Jewish people would see as defiling was a small issue. Now, they wouldn't see it as a small issue culturally, because this would, if they were to eat these foods, some of these foods would be defiling to them and would be unlawful for them to eat. So we, we recognize that that's a more serious issue for them than it is for, like, say, me. You know, if I'm like, I'm not eating bacon, you're like, that's just a dietary choice. That's not because you're like, you know, God has commanded you not to. You know, we, we remove foods from our lives because they're doing things to our bodies we don't like, whether that's making us larger or that's, you know, we're reacting to them in some way, right? I mean, the gluten allergy thing has become this big thing. It wasn't really a thing like 20 years ago. 
Like nobody was really allergic to gluten. Maybe they were. We just didn't know it. You know, you're like, my stomach hurts. Here, have another slice of bread. That'll make you feel better. But like, if you think about this, like we, we don't recognize any foods uh, that I know of, at least in this room. I don't want to speak to this. Most likely, we don't view any foods as being wrong for us to eat spiritually. Wrong for us to eat spiritually. Okay? So we might see this as a small issue. Now, it was a bigger issue to Daniel and his friends. But compared to the book of Daniel and what's coming... A little interaction with the king in the next chapter over a dream that he had for which he said, if no one can interpret this for me, you're all dead. And he would do it. Chapter three, there's going to be a little thing about the fiery furnace. Kind of a serious situation there. You know, crispy boys. Different kind of crispy boys. But if you think about this, there's all these situations throughout the book of Daniel. (laughs) I knew that would get Ellie really good. Um, There's all these situations that are more dire, that are more serious. Okay. And you would look at this as a small issue and be like, okay, so he determined how is that the most important thing, even in the first chapter? How does that really come in to be that important of a decision to make? Because it's often in the small matters that great victories are won. It's often in the small matters that great victories are won. Because determining and making a decision in your heart to honor God no matter what is going to fall out in a great many ways in the future. And what's being done privately here, as we'll see, will really be a forecast of what's going to happen publicly later. He was determining to honor God with his lifestyle. Now think about how easy this would have been for four guys in an exilic situation, out of their homeland, in a foreign land, to just look at each other and go, I mean, we've only seen recognize the four boys here, Right? How easy would it have been for them to go, come on, it's just the four of us. Let's eat the food. I mean, it's, it's, is it really that big of a deal? Is God really going to be so upset with this? I mean, like our whole nation, it just got ransacked and forthcoming, we'll get, it'll happen several other times. Let's just, it's just us. Let's just, let's just eat the food. How easy would that be? I don't know about you guys, but like in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'd try and justify that pretty quickly. But Daniel, in a situation where there wasn't a lot of accountability outside of his friend group, determined not to do this because he sought to honor God. What you do to honor God privately will spill over into your public display. It is setting the standard. It's setting the foundation. Here, Daniel sets the tone for his lifestyle in exile. He's going to determine not to defile himself in Babylon, and yet he will live in this culture, yes? He will live in this culture. He will study this culture. He'll speak into the lives of people in this culture. He'll show love and respect for the people in this culture. He's going to be gracious and compassionate to people in this culture. All of this in the midst of his determination to honor God. We're going to see Daniel do all of these things as a byproduct of his determination to honor God. And I think that we get caught up in this determination sometimes, and we think about a kid who's determined, right? If you think about your child, you know, you may say stubborn, but but if you think about a child who has determination, what often do you think? No, I will not, sir. You know, like, just there's almost like an attitude with determination. If your kid says, I will not, sir, that's awesome. But, like, if you think about determination, a lot of times, in my mind, I think harsh, rude, arrogant, like, you know, there's maybe not arrogant, but just like a, there's an abrasiveness to being firm. I'm standing my ground, you know. I shall die on this hill. Careful. You may not be Christ-like in doing so. 
Here's my example. For more, look at the Bible. When he determined to trust in the word of God and not the king's provision, what did Daniel do? Just look at the text, halfway through verse 8. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. When Daniel determined, he asked permission. Who had given him the command originally not to eat these foods? Who did it come from? You can say it. God did. Yet he asked permission from his earthly authority. Interesting. I didn't plan this, by the way. I did not plan this. I didn't plan for this to happen this week. You can't blame me. I didn't, I, I'd studied this before that meeting ever happened in our, in our county this week. I was like, oh, they're going to think that I totally set this up, that I was like, oh yeah, it's going to come right down to the wire. And if, you know, no, I, I'm not that smart. I did not plan this. God had given Daniel and his friends favor in the eyes of this chief eunuch. They had favor in his eyes. He liked them. And so we know that persecution, and I want to deal with this really quickly. We know that persecution is a part of our Christian walk, right? You know, Jesus said it. All those who live, you know, desire to live righteously in Christ Jesus, they're going to suffer persecution. The the apostles wrote that. And Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And so we we kind of like walk around like, persecution's coming because I'm being good. You know, like I just, I know this is going to happen, right? Persecution's going to happen. But here's the thing. That doesn't necessarily mean that persecution will come from every direction. That doesn't mean that we should be getting persecution from every direction. Here's my point. There's going to be favor for those who live in a way that honors God from people who are not believers. There's going to be favor from non-believers for people who honor God with their lifestyle. Examples, tons of them. Joseph. Think about Joseph. Sold into slavery, ends up at Potiphar's house. What does he end up doing at Potiphar's house? Well, before he had to run away from the lady, what happened was he was in charge of everything Potiphar owned. This slave kid. Why? Potiphar liked him. And Joseph was living righteously in Potiphar's house. Wrongfully thrown into jail after that. What happened in jail? Joseph becomes the head of the, like the guy, the go-to guy that's organizing the, the jail lifestyle, the jailers, the jailhouse rock, whatever you want to call it. But the, the head jailer puts him in charge of everything, right? Joseph comes forward and interprets, by the way, notice these connection points, the interpretation of dreams in Joseph's lifestyle as a man of God who's been mistreated and Daniel. Very interesting similarities if you study these two men's lives. Joseph then is brought before Pharaoh, interprets his dream for him, and what happens then? Joseph becomes, next to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in Egypt. There are examples all throughout scriptures. The, the midwives in Exodus chapter 1, you can talk about examples of the, the apostles, how they handled this. They were winsome in their lifestyle to secular influences around them. It gave them favor. It gave them opportunity for the gospel. And so Paul and Peter and John all encouraged this. And Peter, especially in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 25, which I'm not going to put on the screen, says that when we do this, it gives us opportunity to be a witness when we submit to governing authorities. You guys, there will come a time when defiance should happen for the church. There will come a time when defiance is the right thing to do. It should still be done respectfully. It should still be done compassionately and kindly and in a way that is winsome. Because I look at how often we view that defiance as abrasive, rude, and harsh. 
We don't see that example in Scripture. Look at the life of Paul. When he resisted authorities, it was always respectfully. And he did it when he presented the gospel to Felix, Festus, Agrippa, in a way that was receivable to them, that was explaining the gospel to them, not like, well, this is how it is, so I'm going to Caesar, right? That wasn't his attitude. He presented his case and presented the gospel and exercised those rights that he had. It's interesting to me how often that in my mind I will be tempted to justify rude, harsh, or abrasive behavior based on me being wronged. And it's not scriptural to do so. Daniel's giving us a great example here in exile. And Romans 12, verses 17 through 18 is a really interesting insight for this. It's in, in, in that, Paul says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Let's work on that the rest of our lives. Right? Retaliation's a, a hard thing not to, not to do. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, how many of you were familiar with the statement, don't repay evil for evil? How many of us are pretty familiar? Yeah, I've heard that before. Good, most of us. How many of us are familiar with, if it possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone? I'm pretty familiar with that statement too. Did you catch the second half of verse 17? Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Paul is speaking to the church in Rome. What does everyone include? If you look at it, the context is everyone. The word for Greek means everyone. He doesn't say do what makes everyone happy. Give thought, careful thought, to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Consider your actions and whether they are honoring Christ or self. Consider what you're doing in light of what Jesus has told us to do, not what makes you happy. Many times, the thing that makes me happy is not what God has called me to do. Amen? We've experienced this. I would much rather leave you here, child, and not be responsible for you. You know, but that's not what God has called me to do. God has called me to do something that will make me unhappy to honor him. But here's the point. Within there, we find joy. Isn't that incredible? Within that, you're like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be happy all the time? No. We tell our kids this all the time. What would make you happy? Ice cream, breakfast, lunch, dinner. Prepare yourself. <laughs> Prepare yourself for disappointment, right? Here's the thing. We understand that we have to not get what we want all the time. <laughs> Cola came and are like making eyes at each other here. Ice cream afterwards, kiddo. Here's the thing. That was really creepy. You guys, I think that a lot of times we are going through our lives expecting persecution from every angle and forgetting that living righteously and in a God-honoring way should also give us favor. Think about Proverbs sixteen seven: When a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Please the Lord with your lifestyle. Is it going to make everyone happy? No. Nothing makes everyone happy except ice cream. I'm just kidding. I actually had someone once look at me and be like, I hate ice cream. I was like, alien. That's not real. <laughs> like, that's not possible. Sorry. That was for free. So here, you guys, we have someone who could very easily have been an enemy. Ashpenaz, the chief unit, could have been their enemy very easily, very believably. And here he's a friend. And his concerns, notice this, he brings concerns to Daniel, and Daniel does not disregard them. It is not Christ-like to disregard someone's concerns. Church, 
It is not Christ-like to disregard someone's concerns. Are his concerns valid? Sure. What if they were invalid? Would it be okay for Daniel to be like, chump, shut up. That's not right. What does he say here? I fear my lord the king, Ashpenaz speaking, who has signed your food and drink. What if he sees your face is looking thinner than the other young men here? Now, this is a very logical thing. What if this is the case? What if this happens? He goes, listen, this isn't just a matter of like, hey, feed the guys better. It's like, no, 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 he'll kill me. And he would. Nebuchadnezzar would absolutely kill him for this. And Daniel's response is so important because he doesn't blow off his concerns. He finds a way to allow he and his friends to be put to the test. Test us. Challenge us. Church, we need to be willing to take on the challenge respectfully with governing authority to say, test us. Watch us. See if God does what we say he'll do. It put God on display. It puts God in the forefront and allows him to be shown through us. God is going to reveal his power supernaturally through Daniel and his friends in this 10-day test period. Because nobody likes vegetables and water. Verse 11, so Daniel said to the guard, I was like, mm, do you know what I can't wait for? It's, it's football night, right? It's baseball season. The game's on. Vegetables and water. <laughs> We're living it, right? That's not what it says. So Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat, water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agrees, and he tests them for 10 days. Look at verse 15. This is important. At the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and wine that they drink and gave them vegetables. He's like, well, that worked out nicely, right? Now, in my defense, Warren Wearsby is one of my favorite commentators, and he passed away not too long ago. I love his commentaries, love reading his stuff. This quote is from Wearsby, and it's from decades ago, and he's dead. So I didn't write it yesterday. I did not put this on paper. I have to say that, and you'll know why in a minute. The four Jewish students didn't threaten anybody, stage a protest, or try to burn down a building. (laughs) They simply excelled in their studies, acted like gentlemen, and asked the guard in charge of them, Melzar, to test them for 10 days by feeding them only water and vegetables. Did you notice that? When they, didn't, when they were presented with a scenario that was not to what they were called to do, they didn't threaten, they didn't stage a protest, they didn't burn down a building, Portland. They simply excelled in their studies, acted like gentlemen, and asked permission. Christians, don't forsake the things that Miss Manners has taught us. They're biblical. <laughs> you ever like, did your mom ever talk about Miss Manners? Who's heard of Miss Manners? Like, I, there was like a book, I think. Uh, maybe I burned it as a kid. But like, there, there, you know, like, Miss Manners says, sit up straight at the table. Don't put your elbows on the table. And like, there's all these little things that you couldn't do. You open the doors and you do all Some of them are really good. But here's the point behind this. There is a biblical principle behind being upright, respectful, um, excelling in your studies and in your work. 
I, I used to put this to my students all the time. Some of you guys know this because you were in that classroom. Like, you guys as Bible students and students at a Christian school should excel and outdo all your fellow classmates. Why? Because you represent the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. Do everything that you do as unto the Lord. You should excel at your studies. You're like, why does God care about math? Because he invented it. That's the simple answer. Math wouldn't work without God's created design. So we need to excel in these things. We need to excel at our studies. We need to excel at at acting like respectful people and asking permission. These things haven't grown outdated. They're just not being used enough, and we don't like it. None of us like seeing that. None of us like being treated that way, disrespectfully and rudely. And I need to clarify yet again, I didn't write that, and Wearsby wrote that decades ago. What does that tell us? There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new happening right now. Sorry, I'm choking on air. There's nothing new happening right now. All of this has happened before. Read Ecclesiastes. Solomon's like, there's nothing new. There's absolutely nothing new. Everything's the same, and it continues on in a cycle over and over and over again. You're like, well, that's depressing. No, it's awakening. Because if history repeats itself, we need to make sure that we are paying attention to the flaws that we hold within us that our ancestors did. We need to learn from the lessons of history so that we don't repeat them. We talked about this in our closing studies in regard to how our attitudes are are coming forth, church. We talked about this in Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Boy, these are promises and commands of God we just don't like to live out, aren't they? Think about this. In the Greek, what does the word always mean? You can guess it, just say it. Always. How often should our speech be gracious? Convictionville? Yeah, we just got there. It's beautiful here, right? It's so convicting. It's so convicting. My speech should always be gracious. It should always be seasoned with salt. Our determination to serve God should be winsome, always. It should be longing to bring people in, not be abrasive or pushing them away. Winsome determination is a powerful tool in the hands of a believer. Be determined and be compassionate. Be all about truth and all about love at the same time. That's what God has called us to. It's this balance. That's why we struggle with it so much. Some people are like, ah, God just doesn't care. Other people are like, God's going to kill you. Like there's like these, these mixes that we walk around like, listen, we got to strike a balance here. That's why people are so confused about the gospel. They're like, well, does God love me or is he going to judge me? Yes. Let's talk about that. And forthcoming, just as a little teaser trailer in the future for our home groups, Gospel-driven DNA in the church is what we're going to focus on. Gospel-centric DNA, how to infuse the gospel into our everyday lives so that we not only understand it, but we are striking better balance. It's where we're going as a ministry because this is the type of stuff that's going to change our lives from the inside out. We want to seek first the kingdom of God. It's going to entail us walking the balance of being firm in faith and gracious at the same time. We're to be seasoned with salt. You ever think about this? Is too much salt a good or a bad thing? Bad. You ever had too much salt? Just take a big drink of water out of the ocean. You'll know what I'm talking about. Way too much salt. You ever had too little salt in something? Also bad, right? 
right? What's the perfect amount of salt, right? It's that, it's that little bit, like, just, just give me that perfect seasoning. There's a certain amount. There's a recipe to this working. And that's what he's talking about our speech. Season your speech with salt. If it's a big bucket load, ooh, no one's ever going to want that again. If there's none, be like, boring, right? Season your speech with salt. Be winsome in speech. Daniel's motive and our motive needs to be that God would be glorified, and this is how we do it. We put ourselves out there to be tested. We don't ask others to do something that we're unwilling to do. We're winsome in speech. We have this attitude of determination, but then we say, but put us to the test. I'm not going to put your life on the line. You put me to the test and let God work through you. You let God show it through you. That's going to involve being those who ask permission of authorities placed over us, being gentle and gracious to them and how they respond. It means I'm not going to be rude because I disagree with a council member. It means I'm going to invite them in to have coffee and I'm going to make the coffee for them and have a conversation with them. If we disagree, I'm going to give them a good firm handshake after I sanitize and, and say goodbye. I'm going to be nice to them, be kind to them because I represent Jesus. And being rude and abrasive does not represent him well. It misrepresents him. And by all normal circumstances, Daniel and his friends should have been less healthy for this endeavor. They should have been less healthy. You can believe in a vegetarian diet. That is your prerogative. But here's the thing. Vegetables and water compared to the meats and the different foods that would be given to them from the king's table in Babylon, superpower of the world at that time, I'm sure he was eating well, right? So they would have looked fuller, healthier, and more nourished and more color and fat in the face eating his foods than they would eating just vegetables and water. If I eat vegetables and water, I'm not going to gain weight. Like, I better stay close to a bathroom, too, because that's just like salad shooter, man. That stuff goes right through. But here's the thing. Like, if you... That was for you, Amy. Here's the thing. We, we have to we have to view these things in reality and say, this was a supernatural response to their commitment. And they... <laughs> I do apologize for that one. You guys... This shouldn't have worked this way, but God honors their commitment. Look at verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked better, not just the same, better and healthier than the other bros, right? That's the message version, but they look better than the other boys, okay? This is because God honored their commitment. That doesn't mean that we all adopt the Daniel diet. If you guys are eating Ezekiel bread and adopting the Daniel diet, don't. It's not what, that's not the point. You're missing the point. The point of this is, is that God responded supernaturally and they put themselves out there to let God work through them. Are we available for God to use us in the usual and the unusual circumstances? Am I putting myself out there to be used by God in unusual and usual ways? I think we kind of go about our daily lives expecting the usual But when God gives you a unique thing, this is why the missions field rocks um, and going into foreign countries. When you go into those places, you are putting yourself in unusual circumstances. And how powerfully does God work then when you are at the end of yourself? When you're at the end of your strength and your body is feeling like a garbage heap and you just don't have any hydration anymore and you're just out there like, I'm just here right now. I'm not even worth anything. God's like, perfect, right? That's where he wants to use us as well. Are we letting him use us in the usual and the unusual situations? This is unusual. And note, this is important. I am going to wrap this up soon. This is important. What happens in private is preparation for public. That's why this stuff matters. 
This matters what they're doing here because it's going to affect their public ministry. Are we training in private for what God wants to do in us publicly later? Well, look at how God blesses these four guys in verse 17. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. How many kinds? Every. Does that include the Hebrew text? Sure, because that's what they were raised on. Does it include the secular text of Babylon? You bet it does. That's what they were studying, the language and the literature of their times. God gave them understanding and knowledge in every kind of literature and wisdom. We get a keynote about Daniel. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. He had a special gift. Now, at the end of the time that the king had sent, said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them, and among all of them, no one was found equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the other guys, the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. And it's been said that if you want to make a living, you get training. And if you want to make a life, you add education. But what's interesting is if you want ministry for God, you have to add divine gifts and divine help. You can educate yourself and you can train yourself, but we recognize to be used in the ministry of Christ Jesus, we are going to need divine gifting and divine help. Have we cultivated those things in our lives? Have we cultivated them through prayer and through study of the word? Lord, what is my gifting? What is the help that you've given me? Are we seeking for ways to not just operate in the educational and in the skill level of our lives, but to look at God and say, would you give to me this divine help so that I can be effective, spiritually empowered, spiritually empowered by him. Education is not limited to study. You can learn a lot. You know, I went to the school of hard knocks. You know, we can learn a lot by just like living life, but it certainly will involve studying, reading, educating. That should never end for us. That's not like a, you know, developmental or formative year thing. And then, you know, once I'm out of college, I'll never read another book again. You know, for a lot of people, like, well, I'll never read another book again. Well, that's a shame. Read lots of books. Spurgeon said it really well. He said, live in your Bible, visit many good books. He goes, you don't live in those cities, but you travel. And you read, you live in your word. You live in the word of God because life comes from the word of God. But you should read other material. You should read other things because it will help you to apply biblical mindset and understanding to a secular world. And it's interesting because there's some, there's some church fathers, and I'll talk about this in a minute, that disagree with that mindset. They disagree with that, and, and I'll show you the counter argument to that. We do have time. Trust me, I'll, I'll, I'll make it happen. The training and education that we receive in this world are not substitutes for the ability and wisdom that only God can provide for us. In the midst of being trained and studied, you need to realize that we are dependent on his wisdom and knowledge as these young men were. They put the time in, they studied hard, but they were dependent on God revealing this wisdom and knowledge to them. Because God expects us to work hard. He will honor that hard work through his blessing, through wisdom. So Daniel has a little something extra through his ability to, to see these, to understand these dreams and to interpret them. And I want to note this for a second, because as it's noted that they had all this knowledge and wisdom, Daniel's got this something special. The basis for Babylonian religion and science would involve learning their astrology, 
Um, it would involve um, interpreting dreams, as you can guess, the, ma- the magicians and the mediums that are referenced later on in the passage. They were to be able to interpret dreams for the king. Why? Well, if you're the dominating superpower of the world in that time, it really helps to see what's coming. It really helps you stay on top when you know what's going to happen, when you can interpret a dream or foretell something. That's why they were so interested in this type of information. It was like intel for them. But it was spiritual intel. And obviously these other interpreters were using other power that would be wrong and most likely demonic. It was very important that these young men could interpret dreams and omens. But these guys are examples of having useful knowledge and understanding of the teachings of culture, all the while not conforming to it. They knew and understood the culture, but they had not conformed to it. What an important distinction to make, especially for young people. Don't conform, be transformed, but understand the culture around you. Understand what they believe and be prepared to answer that with scripture, to answer that with biblical wisdom and knowledge. Some church fathers, I mentioned this before, like Tertullian, um, discounted and discouraged any study in secular writings and culture. He encouraged his students to not look at any of that, to solely give themselves to the writings of Scripture. But it's interesting to note in a couple examples that I don't believe that to be biblical. Um, I don't believe it to be biblical because Moses was very understood and learned in the ways of the Egyptians. And you could say, well, he had no choice. He certainly used that knowledge in the way he approached the Exodus and the way he approached foreign nations if you look through their history. But our greatest example, and there's others, but our greatest example of using knowledge of our times and societies is Paul. If you really want to have a fun discussion, and and I guess a couple of our guys with the guys group are going to start teaching through Jude, um, have fun in Jude. Jude has secular writings all over it, um, and and even quotes from the Apocrypha um, and the Book of Enoch, which is a wild thing to talk about. And That's later. That's not for today. Paul, if you read the writings of Paul, you're going to get quotes in it from the classics, such as um, Menander, Epimendes, Aratus, Clinthes. He quoted from all of these people in his writings, Greek scholars, secular Greek scholars that did not follow God. Why? Why would he do that? Well, one thing we know for sure, Paul had read them. But secondly, Paul used them to present to the culture the truth of the gospel. He read them with purpose. He read them to understand what the teachings of the day were and deconstructed it with Christianity. He deconstructed it and proved the validity of the gospel and the cross of Jesus Christ by understanding what they said and what they believed. If you want to read one of those powerful sermons that's so off the cuff different, read the sermon that Paul gives in Athens on Mars Hill. It is so weird compared to his other sermons for so many reasons, but the purpose is clear. He's preaching to the crowd in front of him, and he understands them culturally. He understands what they believe. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and spend eight years studying Americanized culture. I'm not telling you that at all, but read many books and live in your Bible. Live in your Bible and read many good works. They will give you perspective on how to reach the lost in your community and around you. It's important that we be smart about these things. In the end, I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. Robert Murray McShea said this, and I totally agree with it. Beware of the atmosphere of the classics. True, we ought to know them, but only as a chemist handle poison to discover their qualities, not to infect their blood with them. That's exactly it. 
understand the qualities of them, we are not meant to put that into our bloodstream. We eat, sleep, drink Jesus. We preach Jesus. We live in Christ. But it's good to understand the things that are being said around so that we can rightly answer and do so graciously, non-abrasively with the heart of Christ. It's very important. Knowing the culture and the writings um, of Babylon around them, Daniel and his friends were able to reveal the superiority of God in the midst of it. They were able to take these things and show that God has given higher knowledge and wisdom and understanding. We're going to see that throughout the book, that they bring a perspective of God's superiority always. And that won't make them very popular. Something to note as we close, Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. I told you I would get back to this as we get into verse 21. Daniel saw the end of the exile. He lived all the way into the time of King Cyrus, which is fascinating to me, 539 B.C. But if you look at chapter 10, verse 1, when it references the third year there, that's 536. Daniel well into his 90s, most likely. In fact, if you read Daniel chapter 6 and you look at the lion's den, he was most likely in his 80s when he was thrown in the lion's den. I don't know about you guys, but I do not plan on wrestling lions when I'm 80. Like... That's not going to be in the cards for me. But if you think about this, Daniel saw the beginning and the ending of the exile. I want you to think about this. At the end of chapter 1, we see something vital. Daniel had been given three things by God. He was given wisdom. He was given the power of influence because his voice was heard over the voices of all the other wise men of the, the kingdom. And he was given a blessed life. Now, was Daniel's life easy? No. Was Daniel's life free of hardship? Well, in the next chapter, his life will be threatened. And he's going to be on the line to save all of the magicians of Babylon. By the way, makes you wonder how powerful ministry he had then. When Daniel interprets the dream that no one else can interpret, and they all look to him and go, you just saved our lives. And I just can't imagine what that mission field looked like at that moment for him. Daniel was given wisdom, influence, and blessed life from God that didn't make it easy. What it meant was is that in honoring God, choosing to devote himself to God, and then respectfully living that out gave him the ability to be a man who stood tall in a very pagan dark place. He wasn't standing tall because he was being stubborn. Daniel stood tall because he honored God above all. And he did it in every situation that we'll see presented here. I want to encourage you guys to apply this to our lives in the same way that we see Daniel do it. The way we go about our business matters. The way we go about how we handle authority matters. We cannot be flippant about it. We have to be respectful. And, and I, I want to encourage you guys, there will come a time, and we can see it in Daniel chapter 1, we'll see it in Daniel chapter 3, we'll see it in Acts chapter 4. There is a time that will come when authority should be defied, but when it's done, it must be done Christ-like. And I, you guys can trust me on this. When that time comes, you will see me stand. But my prayer is that you'll see me do it respectfully, that you'll see me do it with a Christ-like attitude because that's what we're going for. It's for the kingdom. It's for his name's sake. It's not so that I can make a point. It's so that the name of Christ is lifted high. Amen? 
That's what we want. We want the name of Jesus lifted high in the midst of this. Let's walk that track together. I think that as we continue to stay through Daniel, we'll see this over and over again. Let's pray together. Lord, as we uh, just take a moment to worship and to sing your praise, we just recognize as we're about to sing, Lord, that you are sovereign. And that a lot of times we can get caught looking at what men or women are doing, what people are attempting to do in our world today. And it can start to feel like good is being trumped by evil. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that what you've called us to do is to faithfully devote ourselves to you, to do it your way. Not the way I feel like, not the way I even want to sometimes, but doing it in a way that honors your name, that is scriptural. God, help us to synchronize our lives with what your word tells us to be. And God, I I just thank you for this church. I thank you for the amazing examples that I've seen already of your heart, your compassion. Lord, as so many reach out to each other and minister to each other, as so many gals have had little babies in the last few weeks, and there's been this overflowing of people to feed these families and to care for them. Lord, may that continue to grow in us and just be a blessing to this body. That's your heart. Show us how we can take that heart, Lord, that you have for the lost and for our community and those who are who don't know you in it, Lord. Show us how to graciously show them as we make the day-to-day steps that we take just a example of honoring you. Let's keep our eyes closed, our heads bowed. Let's just listen for the Lord, and then we'll go to our time of worship. But I just want to encourage you guys in this time, listen for the Lord to speak to your heart. If there's conviction, that's okay. If there's encouragement, that's great. If there's whatever he needs to say, just open yourself up to him and let him speak to you, and then we'll worship together.